facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome to the program. I hope you're having a terrific Tuesday. It's the 23rd of January, 2024. Give me a call right now. We've got some open lines, 888-914-9149. I have a funny feeling you're going to want to get in on this conversation. We have an epic show planned for you, 888-914-9149. Our listener line sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters. Another way to get to me, you can hit me up with a question, a comment, a show idea, become a shadow producer, send me a link, something I might want to have a take on. You can email me at this address, kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. And, of course, you can find me on the X app at kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. And my thanks to Miranda, who works on our production team. Incredible graphic for today's show. If you, if you check out the Relevant Radio social media accounts on Facebook or Twitter, wow, she's just doing such an incredible job. Thank you, Miranda. The Mark of the Beast, what is it? And could it be, could it be, what governments have planned for us. What on earth am I possibly talking about? Well, I don't know if you've heard, there's a lot of controversy about BlackRock, one of the biggest companies in the world. It is an absolute behemoth. It's a monster. We're going to talk later, time permitting, about what makes them so potentially very dangerous. But the CEO of BlackRock, Larry Fink, was recently on CNBC, and he had this to say about government-issued digital currency, also known as CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currencies. Check out this clip. Here's Larry Fink from BlackRock. They said these are just start stepping right. stones towards tokenization. And I, I really do believe this is where we're going to be going. We have the technology to tokenize today. If you want to talk about, think about this. If you had a tokenized right. security and you have a tokenized identity, right. you, Andrew, the moment you buy or sell an instrument, it's known. It's on a general ledger right. that is all created together. Um, you want to talk about issues around money laundering and all that. This eliminates all corruption by having a tokenized system. Gentlemen, we have the technology. It sounds a little bit like the $6 million man, but in that case, they wanted to rebuild Steve Austin. Could this be a use of technology to maybe in some ways, tear down the human person. You guys have heard me talk, but you might recall me talking about this guy a couple of years ago, Jason DeBolt. He's a legendary investor in Tesla, and he saw the potential of the company a long time ago. He used to sleep in his Tesla. He lived in his Tesla for a long time, totally believed in the company, bought a lot of stock, and when it went parabolic in 2020, he became a multimillionaire. And uh, I think his portfolio is, and he's pretty public about this, is worth eight figures um, ebbs and flows, but he, he's got an iron stomach. He, he just has his convictions. And I, I sort of use this as an example of this is how we have to, have to look at the Catholic faith. We have to have pure conviction that this is the truth. It's got to be reasoned out. It's got to be thought through. We've got to commit ourselves to it big time, just like he did with, with Tesla. He has huge conviction in the stock, and he's been rewarded for it. He, um, he said this on Twitter. He, he saw this clip uh, of Larry Fink, which you just heard from BlackRock, talking about central bank digital currencies. And, and this is what Jason DeBolt said about this. I, I want to know if you agree or disagree. Here, here's what DeBolt said, quote, Nothing will accelerate the world towards a crushing dystopian state than CBDCs. And again, that's central bank digital currencies. They are the logical next step the next domino to fall in total control of Western populations after the elimination 
of free speech. And by the way, just I just want to interject really quickly here. A lot of people might might be thinking when we mention central bank digital currencies, they might be thinking of Bitcoin. This is not Bitcoin, but it's kind of like Bitcoin. In essence, this would be governments creating their own Bitcoins, if you will, but it's backed up by it's fiat money, if you will, but it's digital. It's digital. Um, Bitcoin's a different animal. We'll talk about that as well. Really interesting uh, uh, account that I'm going to share with you about some nuns who have been flourishing in their community in Kansas City using Bitcoin. It's unbelievable. So we'll talk about that in a bit. But this is not Bitcoin, but it's somewhat related. All right, back to Jason DeBolt here. He says that CBDCs could be used for total control of Western populations after the elimination of free speech. First, he says, governments try to control what you can say. And we've we've certainly seen our fair share of that. Um, you, you might have heard that Jordan Peterson, who has been so outspoken about forced speech, there's free speech and then there's forced speech. Being, he refused to uh, be forced to use uh, by the University of Toronto certain pronouns, certain words. He wouldn't use them. He has now been forced into kind of a, I guess you could say a re-education camp. It's not a camp or anything like that, but uh, or he'll have his license revoked as a psychologist. He he will have his license revoked if he doesn't undergo media training. Of all, this guy has millions of media followers. I hope he somehow live streams this. This is going to be quite interesting. So he needs to be quote unquote re-educated. Anyways, back to Jason DeBolt here. He says first governments try to control what you can say, then they control what you can buy, or whether you can buy anything at all. Central bank digital currencies are one of the most terrifying tools that could soon be available to Western governments. They must be stopped. If central bank digital currencies were invented 300 years ago, do you think we'd all have the same rights that we enjoy today? No. All the freedom fighters of the past wouldn't have made it very far. They wouldn't be able to eat or survive. These quote-unquote currencies are not currencies. They are weapons of control. They will make it impossible to hold our governments accountable. Any nonviolent actions taken against governments, protests, calling them out on social media, etc., could turn your bank balance to zero, immediately crushing all dissent with never-before-seen levels of speed and efficiency. Now, you may think governments can already do this with bank accounts and credit cards, but these things are not nearly as easily discoverable and actionable as CBDC, central bank digital currencies, because of all of the intermediaries, the systems, and privacy laws involved with bank accounts and credit cards. It's no exaggeration to say CBDC, central bank digital currencies, will eventually enslave entire populations. I can say with 100% certainty that they will if they aren't stopped, end of quote. Wow, that that is straight fire from Jason DeBold. I don't know if you guys agree or disagree with this, but I, I I would really love your take on this. Now, what's interesting, too, is that in the comments, if you scroll through the comments, one person said, this has got to be what the book of Revelation is talking about in Revelation chapter 13, verse 17, with the mark of the beast. Nobody can buy or sell without the mark of the beast. It, it, it Was John the Revelator writing about this? Well, not necessarily. I'll tell you what the mark of the beast actually means in the book of Revelation. 
in just a little bit. But uh, let's, let's go to the phones right now. Let's go to Gary in Pittsburgh. Hey, Gary. Hello. Hi, Cal. Hey, welcome was, to the show. I wanted to comment about Larry Fink. Sure, um, BlackRock, yeah. Because, because BlackRock, they control the, the most amount of money. They invest, of course, in many, many different companies, and they have a good portion of uh, stock ownership in many companies. So he dictates to the CEOs of many companies about the adopting DEI, about adopting the whole gender identity practices. So he plays a very important role in forcing all these companies to adopt these practices which oppose our faith. Yeah, it, it, Gary. Thanks for thanks for mentioning that. That that is certainly one of the things that comes up when you when you hear about BlackRock and how powerful they are. They they can really influence company policies, and instituting things like DEI, which which are essentially, let's face it, they are racist in nature. And so th- that's one thing. Now here's here's another angle on on, on this as well on BlackRock, and because a lot of people listening might not be uh, too familiar with with what they're doing, with what they're all about. Uh, just a couple years ago, actually, there's an interesting piece uh, that was uh, penned in the New York Times. It was an opinion piece by Farhad Manju, and it was about what BlackRock, Vanguard, now you probably have heard of Vanguard as well, and State Street, what they're really doing to the United States economy. And it's interesting because he, he was, um, he, this opinion called, columnist Farhad Manju was speaking with Vivek, Ramaswamy, who of course is still running for president, I, I think he's still in the race. As last I've last I've heard, he hasn't dropped out, but but he, he certainly made a splash. Uh, tech entrepreneur, um, and he he in fact <laughs> uh, wrote a book called "Woke Incorporated: Inside Corporate America's Social Justice Scam." At any rate, um, he had an interview with with this opinion writer from from the New York Times, and one of the things that came up was BlackRock, and, and also. BlackRock is essentially an, an asset management firm. It's 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 huge. Another sidebar here about BlackRock, which I read uh, in the news recently. You you guys may be aware of this. They are buying up unbelievable amounts of residential property in the United States, developments, subdivisions. Apparently, one out of every four homes that is sold in the United States has been bought by BlackRock recently. This is also troubling because they they may have. They're in the housing supply. They've got their tentacles, if you will, deep into the housing supply. Is this a good thing? But at any rate, um, BlackRock's a huge asset management firm. Vanguard Investments, of course, founded by John Bogle. State Street as well. It is alleged that, and Ramaswamy certainly believes this, that they control too much of the global economy. They, they manage huge funds, pension funds, university endowments, um, as well as companies. And and. And individual investors like you and me, they're, they're also investing in ETFs, exchange-traded uh, funds, portfolios with, with these firms. So here, here's how big BlackRock is. BlackRock manages nearly $10 trillion, trillion in investments. <laughs> That's trillion with a T. Vanguard manages $8 trillion. State Street, four, a paltry $4 trillion. How about that? Um, their combined $22 trillion in managed assets is the equivalent of more than half of the combined value of all shares for companies in the S&P 500, $38 trillion. So, And this is just growing and growing and growing. 
they could control, these three companies alone could control as much as 40% of shareholder votes in the S&P 500 within 20 years. So why is this a problem? And Chris, I see you on the line there. Hang on. Don't, don't hang up, okay? Uh, I'm going to get to you in just a second. Why is this a big deal? Well, according to the New York Times in their interview with Ramaswamy, he says that these firms are using their heft, their, their incredible influence to push companies into adopting certain political positions, focusing on climate change, um, DEI stuff like we just talked about. But, but it's really interesting, too, because um, the guy who wrote this piece for The New York Times, Farhad Manju, he actually says that there's something even maybe potentially worse at play here. There's something else going on here. Here's the real danger, economic, not just polit- forget, forget about political stuff. What about economic danger? Because he says the American economy is lumbering under monopoly, oligopoly, whether it's airlines, Internet advertising, healthcare, banks, mobile phone providers. Americans can really only do business with just a handful of companies for these very, very important products and services. It reduces consumer choice. It can harm workers. Um, and, and here's a great example. BlackRock owns a huge chunk of Ford and General Motors. So why would they be, if they own both, why would they be promoting, uh, you know, um, uh, innovation, competition among these two? What happens when a few people control so much? This is, um, this is really tough. Oh, sorry, excuse me. Vanguard is the largest shareholder, not BlackRock, in both Ford and General Motors. How could it possibly benefit from competition between the two? Why fight for prices, innovations, investments, um, things that make things better for, for the consumer? So this is an anti-competitive threat. And at Harvard Law School, a very famous professor wrote uh, that this is the greatest anti-competitive threat of our time because nobody is doing anything about this problem. So, wow, there's a lot to think about here. But uh, I want to take a call from Chris in Arizona, because he needs to hang up soon. So, Chris, I got you. You're on the line. How are you doing? Hey, Kale. Very good. Thanks for having me on. So, love the show. I was listening. I'm actually a certified financial planner. Okay. So, what you're talking about is very topical. Um, so just, I was, I heard the, uh, and I forget the gentleman's name, but it was the uh, monologue you read about, uh, he's the diehard Tesla fan who lived in his oh, Tesla yeah. and, and invested yeah. it. Okay. So <clears throat> this is actually a concern among our investors. Uh, I work for Ameriprise. Um, and so we have been, our company has been very much following the um, centralized bank uh, digital currencies. And just, I I hear a lot of the draconian kind of like, oh, my God. And Mm -hmm. by the way, I'm not for or against. Um, I just have to know what's the deal and is it what's the concern to investors today? Absolutely. And so our company has actually spoken on this, a chief economist, uh, Russell Price, who's one of the top ranked by Bloomberg uh, of economists in the country. Uh, He has spoken on this and his there's a potentially could go very much draconian. um, As he mentioned, there's a lot of steps before there. Um, as you mentioned, it's very much different from Bitcoin. It's um, the digitization of it is really made for, at least this is the selling point, right, for efficiency. Um, mm. So anyone who's familiar with a direct deposit um, from your, you know, from working or whatever, it usually takes that delay, right? Unless you're doing a wire and those can be costly and that's have to go to the Fed. The idea is that this would help streamline a lot of that. Right now it's in um, institution use. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could, and they do, it seems like they have intentions to, to broaden it to retail. Uh, in and of itself, we don't see it as a problem. However, and so just the one thing I would 
say is I would caution about let's jump into conclusions, but something that everyone should keep an eye on, and this is what we tell our investors, this is what our chief economist says. The real draconian issue and where this could be a threat to the democracies is when we start seeing, because it's basically a federal um, bank, more or less, right. uh, which I know it seems like, well, don't we already have one? But yeah, you and you and me don't bank with the Federal Reserve directly. Um, the concern would be if this is used um, to continue the expansion of a federal bank that would then threaten uh, commercial banks. Because mm. when that happens, now you're for, and that's where the draconian happens, right? If there's no third-party banks, no commercial banks, um, for, and you can imagine that it's, you know, on the realm of possibility or probability, eh, it's possible. Is it probable? I don't know. At this point, we'd say no. Um, but if you do have a government-subsidized bank, they can subsidize and, let's, for example, have higher savings rates than mm-hmm. your standard commercial banks. Well, that could force those commercial banks under. Uh-huh. Now everyone's banking with the, the feds, and then, ha now they have control. A lot of steps that have to happen okay. to get there, um, right? And I... So very much not just me, but I'm sure all the lobbyists for all the major banks wait with bated breath to see if that's a move that happens. <laughs> There'll be uh, a lot of backlash against that. So that's just my thought on that. One other quick, and I'm not a sure. BlackRock apologist, but I just got to There's um, keep in mind, both BlackRock and Vanguard, uh, they are dominantly indexers. A lot mm-hmm. of their, their revenue comes from uh, passive uh, index ETFs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And passive index funds. So when we say they hold, they hold all this voting right, they pass all that off or most of it off to their passive shareholders. And they hold a lot oh, okay. of these companies because of their weighting in the index. Um, now, again, I'm not a BlackRock uh, apologist. Sure, I do invest with them as a mm-hmm. professional. Um, we do not do ESG. It's kind of like like Burger King. You can have it your way. You like ESG, great. <laughs> we don't do it. Um, he's gone on record with Rick Reeder, one of the main fund managers there, and he's the CIO of BlackRock. He goes, I'm not going to be ESG, just so you know. And, and Larry thinks, that's fine. Um, and so he lets the, a lot of the managers do their own thing. And if you look them up on Morningstar, you can see they have the – and I disagree with that. You shouldn't have an ESG rating. But they do on Morningstar, and you will see actually a lot of the BlackRock funds have horrible ESG ratings. Why? Well, it's because the fund managers are independent of Larry Fink as much as Larry Fink likes to um, spout off. So food for thought, there's a great website. Um, uh, BlackRock actually has put up called For the Record because <laughs> they yep. get this a lot. Yeah. Uh, it's got, you know, and, there's, and you know, there's truth to a lot of this, but there's also a little bit of hyperbole. It's a great resource. Um, again, it, don't put everything in BlackRock, but there's yeah, food for it, thought. Yeah, and Chris, Chris, I, I appreciate the contrarian view, and and there's there is another side to the story, of course, right? There, um, by the way, Chris, just you're still on the line. Just, just for our listeners, can you just explain to our listeners what ESG is? Because you use that acronym for anybody that doesn't understand. Can you explain what that is? So ESG stands for Environmental Social Governance, and it's a score. Now, this is where we get into a little bit of a problem. I'd also argue value-based investing has the same problem. How do we define these values? that are outside of the returns of an, an investment. So ESG, it, it kind of depends on who you're asking, who's doing the screening. It's looking at a fund or a company, usually a fund, to see like, hey, what's the carbon emissions? Are they like below the benchmark when it comes to the companies they own? Social would be like employee, employee engagement, what's the, like pay and that kind of thing and leave and that kind of stuff. Governance, um, 
Oh, I can't remember what that one is. Again, I don't deal with it. I don't sure. screen on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, governance, I forget exactly. I think eh, I can't remember exactly what that one, what they're it's looking okay. for there. The big one is the environmental, um, which I'll just, one other thought. Um, you notice Larry Fink, at the 2023 annual shareholder meeting, backtracked heavily on ESG. Why? We had 2022. What was the one sector in 2022 that actually did well? Energy. And I'm not talking <laughs> yeah. electric. I'm talking exactly. gas, baby. Yeah. And mm-hmm. he knows it. So that's a little, mm. that I, it, whether it was, you know, divine providence, I don't know. But it's kind of funny. Like ESG, ESG, and then 2022 happens. It caused everyone to pause. You go, Ooh, hold yeah. on now. Maybe we shouldn't run because now you're cutting off a sector uh, of the, the, uh, in the market. Yeah. Not a prudent idea. Yeah, it's interesting, and, and not to get too 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 much into a sidebar conversation on this, but the energy, it's going to be a mix of, of energy. It's going to be renewables. Obviously, things are going that way, but it's not like oil and gas are going to go away, especially overnight, and uh, they're needed in certain situations for sure. Um, Northern Canada, I'm telling you, uh, solar powers will not work under three feet of snow, that's for sure. So at any rate, um, Chris, I really appreciate the call. We, we are up against a break, uh, but thank you so much for calling in. Chris from Arizona who's a certified financial planner, and he got, kind of had a bit of a contrarian take. You know, maybe BlackRock isn't all that bad, but that, that's kind of a, an interesting angle on the conversation we're having about uh, digital currency. Now, as I said, one commenter in this original post suggested maybe this is the biblical mark of the beast. Well, what actually is the mark of the beast? Because this comes up again and again when people look at the mysterious book of Revelation. We'll have the answer to that question and much more on the Kale Clark Show right after this. If you want to call in, 888-914-9149. We'll try to get your phone calls as quickly as possible. So stick with me. This is the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Uh, we're talking about the invisible touch, if you will, of digital money, central bank digital currencies. Is this the mark of the beast that Revelation mentioned? Not so sure about that, but some people have suggested that. We've been talking about that. We've been talking about BlackRock. We'll get back to the mark of the beast, what it really is, in just a moment. But I want to take a phone call right now, and you can call in 888 9149. That's the toll-free listener line for the Kale Clark Show. Patrick Alog is standing by to take your call right now. But let's go to Derek in Houston. Derek in H-Town, how are you doing? Hey, Kale. How are you? I'm doing, doing well. Uh, listen, man, I don't know if you're a football fan, but I was really, really excited seeing the Texans and C.J. Stroud this season, so I know that it's pretty exciting for the city as well. Yeah, I like uh, C.J. Stroud a lot, and... Uh... The news kind of cut him off, or the media kind of cut him off when he was praising Jesus, and hmm. I thought that was pretty weak. And BlackRock is a big owner in Comcast Corporation, so that's yeah, you, yeah. You wanted to say something about BlackRock? What's 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 your take on that on that monolithic um, firm? I remember uh, watching a documentary called A Nation of Renters that spoke about how BlackRock was buying up all the homes in America so that they could force everybody to rent and they could kind of control all the prices that way. But I also wanted to talk about how they're large investors and in some of the companies that manufacture stuff for wars. And uh, they have an influence to push us into wars because it can, a lot of that is affected 
uh, by stock prices. And some of these companies are publicly traded and they're largely owned by BlackRock and other institutions and uh, also politicians. So we just keep getting forced into some of these endless wars. And I think it's a result of some of that. Derek, I think you, what you're saying is what a lot of people are thinking for sure. And I think that's going to be a big theme, obviously, in the in the election cycle in 2024. This is something that, that President Eisenhower warned about in the 1950s. And he was part of the military, obviously, General Eisenhower and the military industrial complex. And many people still believe that President Kennedy was assassinated in part for trying to stand up to the military industrial complex. And so... That's another show for another day, for sure. But, Derek, thank you so much for your call. Appreciate you listening. Uh, call back anytime, 888-914-9149. Let's go now to Therese in Monrovia, California. Hi, Therese. Hi, Kale. Um, my comment has to do with you talking about what the mark of the beast means. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I'd just like to share with you what I have found and what it means to me. In the Bible, under the Bread of Life discourse, in chapter 6 of um, the book of John, and in verse 66, so that becomes 666, Mm -hmm. it talks about where people start to leave him, the disciples leave him, because they can't handle Jesus talking about consuming (laughs) him body and blood. So I believe that that's happening now. 666. People are leaving him, not receiving the Eucharist. I know that doesn't have anything to do with um, finances and investments. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's important, um, though. Yeah. Uh, so I just uh, thought I'd uh, share that with you. Yeah, Therese, thank you. And this is something that a lot of preachers have noticed, and it, it makes for good homiletic material for sure. Uh, I'm just looking it up right now, actually, in John's Gospel, Chapter 6. Now, of course, this is the Bread of Life Discourse, preached at the synagogue in Capernaum. You must eat my flesh and drink my blood, or else you have no life in you. He just hammers home, doubles down again and again and again, Jesus does, about the reality of the Eucharist. And a lot of people don't like this. And, and they, they, they walk away. They don't get it. They don't understand it. They don't buy into it. And then, as Therese says, it's it's kind of interesting <laughs> You know, a uh, little twilight zone here. Verse 66, John 6, verse 66, 666. After this, many of his disciples drew back and no longer walked with him. Uh, I don't know whether that was intentional or not. Let, 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 I want to, you know, and, and by the way, John did not have these verses in the original text. These verses, the, the chapters and verses were added much, much later by scribes to make the text easier to read. But maybe one of them was thinking, hey, let's make this one 66. Let's just kind of stretch out the word so it falls that way. I don't know about that. But anyway, what happens right after this? Jesus says to the 12, will you also go away? And Simon Peter answers him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And and by the way, this is also right after this, Jesus says, did I not choose you, the 12? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was to betray him. And in fact, again, some commentators suggest that this was the thing. Judas was just like, this is too much. He was already having his doubts about Jesus. And he's like, the Eucharist, I can't handle this. I I, I can't handle the truth. Uh, Pull a Colonel Nathan Jessup here. And uh, this is when he allegedly, possibly, this is maybe the moment where he kind of turned away from our Lord interiorly, leading to much worse things down the road. Anyways, in- interesting to talk about. But let's let's do mention where it actually talks about the mark of the beast. And that is, of course, in the book 
of Revelation. And we did a huge series on this on the Faith Explained show, which is the other show that I host um, on uh, Relevant Radio, 1230 Central. Check the podcast. Um, And if you are listening, by the way, to these shows, whether it's the K.O. Clark show or the Faith Explained or anything else on Relevant Radio, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or another podcast service, please give us a rating and review. Give us an honest review. If you like the show, whatever you might think, don't like it, that's fine. Leave a rating and review. It helps other people to discover the show and share it with a friend. He said, well, if I hate it, I'm not going to leave a rating then. I don't want people to discover it. Well, no, it's good to hear your feedback. And um, that's just one thing I'd mention. But we do have still, if you go to uh, the Faith, go to um, the Faith Explained page on, on relevantradio.com slash our shows, find the Faith Explained. Uh, we st- should still have the whole Revelation series up there for you. And I'm um, working on, hopefully, please, you know, <laughs> Fingers crossed here, praying hard in the near future. Hopefully all of our past series will be available for you digitally for you guys to access whenever you want. That would be ideal. I know I get a lot of requests for that. That's the number one request I get uh, in emails that are sent to me at Relevant Radio. Uh, so we're working on that. I hope to have that. Uh, it's it's kind of a lot of it's beyond my control, but let's try to make this happen. Having said that, um, we, we dealt with this in, in quite some detail on the Revelation series. And one of the things that I said about Revelation is that It's a certain type of literature. It's called apocalyptic literature. And you have to know sort of the the coded language that's in there for you to understand it. Because people have used Revelation to create all kinds of fantastic theories and fantastic beasts. And there are fantastic beasts in Revelation. There are all these beasts that come up out of the sea. What does that really mean? Uh, We'll talk about that in just a second. But Revelation can can be a very dangerous book in the hands of somebody who who doesn't quite know what the interpretive rules are. You don't read a poem the same way you read a police report. And if your poems, your love poems sound like police reports, you've got some work to do on your love life. But having said that, this is apocalyptic literature. There's certain rules in that. Now, one of the things that um, we have to understand also about Revelation is that it meant something to its original readers. It's not like John the Revelator wrote this book about the 21st century AD, uh, he didn't have that in mind. Now, there can be some application to our time, and there certainly is application to our time, but it meant something in its original context to its original hearers. So who is the beast? Who is the beast in Revelation? Well, we know that the number of the beast is the infamous 666. We see this in Revelation 13, verse 18. Now, the book that I um, recommend highly on Revelation, if you want to kind of do a deep dive, it's very accessible. It's a book called Coming Soon by Michael Barber, uh, Dr. Michael Barber from the Augustine Institute. And uh, he, he explains very well how that there was something called gematria that was used um, in the ancient world. And the Romans, we know about Roman numerals, right? We've got Super Bowl, what is it, Super Bowl 58? Sometimes it's hard to read those. I don't know what Super Bowl it is right now because I don't read Roman numerals. Um, for Super Bowl 50, they just did the the Arabic numbers 50. I wish they just kind of stuck with that. But got to make it classic. Got to go with Roman numerals where every letter corresponds to a number. So V equals 5, right? I know it's not a V, but you know what I'm saying. X equals 10. So that's how it's done. And you could do this with the English alphabet as well. A equals 1, B equals 2, whatever. So the Israelites also use the Hebrew alphabet for numbers as well. And when you take the name Nero Caesar and you transliterate that into Hebrew, 
and then look at the numerical value of the letters, it adds up to, you guessed it, 666. That is the number of the beast. So it is Nero Caesar. And by the way, as Barber explains in his book, here's some early evidence that, that Caesar is the guy here, Nero Caesar. There's some other ancient manuscripts of the book of Revelation that have been found. And instead of 666, it actually says 616. Now, why is that? You might think that's an, that's an error, that's a scribal error. Well, actually, it's because the Latin form of the name Nero Caesar, when you put that into Hebrew and then you add up the numbers, it's 616 when you use the Latin. So it's obvious that he's the guy here. Uh, now, there are many beasts that rise up against the church throughout the centuries, and and there are many antichrists. Anybody who's against Christ is, is a sort of antichrist. And there will be, of course, one sort of ultimate antichrist figure uh, coming in, in, in the days to come. Who knows how close those days are? And people have speculated from the time of Christ when this is going to happen. Uh, I'm sure the early Christians thought it was going to happen in their lifetime. Wasn't the case. Um, whenever we die, that is the end of the world for us. But in terms of the last judgment, in terms of the return of Christ, the parousia, we don't know exactly when that's going to happen, but Jesus did seem to indicate in the gospel that we might be able to tell the season, and it's there's always speculation there. It can be helpful at times if it helps us get our life back together, but sometimes it could be a huge rabbit trail. So at any rate, um, when it comes to the mark of the beast, this is what we're looking at in chapter 17, uh, sorry, excuse me, chapter 13 of the book of Revelation. And what's interesting about this and, and why this commenter online raised maybe the central bank digital currency is the mark of the beast because it has something to do with buying and selling, buying and selling. In fact, you can't buy and sell. Here's what it says, uh, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. You can look it up, but this is Revelation chapter 13. I'm just going to read two, uh, three verses here, 16, 17, and 18. It causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let him who has understanding reckon the number of the beast, for it is a human number. Its number is 666. Now, what's, what's intriguing about this is not only is this a reference to Nero, who, of course, unleashed a wicked persecution against the church in his time. And he had uh, the apostles Peter and Paul were martyred under his watch in Rome. Uh, members of the Catholic Church were, were rounded up, uh, doused in oil, and lit on fire to uh, light up Nero's garden parties. Um, and of course, the famous account of him fiddling on the roof while the city burned a fire, he probably said himself. Um, he was mad. He was evil. But this this number 666 is also interesting in, in another way as well. Because on the sixth day, and this is an intriguing thing that Barbara points out, on the sixth day in the book of Genesis, God created the beasts. Talk about beasts. God created the beasts. And also, Adam was created on the sixth day. And we know that humans are essentially, we've been called rational animals. We have a rational soul. We have an eternal soul, something the animals don't have. It's what makes us human. But there are sort of animalistic tendencies that we have. We've got to get beyond that. We've got to get to the seventh day, which is God's day, and, and recognize our destiny. So six, beast, it can, they can both kind of represent the fallen state of humanity. And we talked about Goliath the other day, David and Goliath. It was one of the scripture readings. Guess how tall Goliath was? 
six cubits. Six cubits. Six is often used in connection with evil men. And Barber explains this in his book. Uh, six cubits and a span tall, about over nine feet tall. He used a spear that weighed 600 shekels. Uh, here's another example from the Old Testament. The book of Daniel, the king of Babylon, set up this huge statue of himself and told everybody to worship it. It was 60 cubits high, six cubits wide. King Solomon, you say, hang on here. Solomon's a good guy. Solomon's a good guy, the son of David. Yeah, he was the wisest man who ever lived, surpassed, of course, by the wisdom of Christ. But guess what? He was corrupted. Even though he was very, very wise, he did some pretty dumb things. He allowed his heart to be corrupted by lust. He had hundreds of wives and concubines. They drew his heart away from the Lord. But also he was corrupted by his wealth. Because this is the only other place where the, where the actual number 666 is used. This is in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 14. It says that Solomon was able to amass 666 talents of gold in taxes. So this is part of his fall away from God. He, he, he went from being, as Barbara explains, a type of Christ to being kind of a type of an antichrist. And, and, and Jesus is doing, it's interesting, Solomon was the son of David. Jesus, when he appears on the scene, he is called the son of David. And he's doing stuff that Solomon used to do. By the way, Solomon was well known as an exorcist. And for his incredible wisdom, obviously, we know this, Jesus goes way beyond this. He doesn't need formulas from the other exorcists in Jesus' day used formulas allegedly from Solomon. Solomon wrote this down. Here's how it's done. You got to do this little incantation. Use this aromatic stick, the barris root. Uh, draw the demon out through the nose. Get the person to sneeze. There we go. It's gone. No, he doesn't do any of that stuff. He, he just tells the demons, shut up and get out, and they go. And his wisdom far surpasses anything that anybody's ever seen. But here's where it comes back to the coins again as well, because remember that one of the most famous instances of the wisdom of Christ, render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar, render unto God what belongs to God. And everybody's like, okay, mic drop. I, I can't compete with this. We just have to walk away. It's interesting, this whole idea of the mark, the mark. Because what is, in fact, the mark of the beast? Well, it probably has something to do with money. Because, um, as Scott Hahn and Curtis Mitch explain uh, in their commentary on Revelation, there were coins. And we know that in the, in the Roman Empire of the first century that the emperor was worshipped as a son of God. Now, of course, he's not the true son of God. Only Jesus is. But um, that's why the, the term son of God in reference to Christ really raised alarm bells with the Romans. There have been coins that were minted in Tyre. You've heard about Tyre and Sidon, of course. They, they come up in the Gospels. Coins that were minted in Tyre, used in Syria, Palestine, they were discontinued in the 50s, in the first century. So this is after the, you know, Jesus' earthly ministry, in the, in, the, in the decade of the 50s, in the first century. And they eventually you know, fell out of circulation. And then they minted some new coins in Antioch. And guess whose image was on it? Nero, 666, Nero Caesar. And so this, this might explain this whole bit about buying and selling. You, you can't buy or sell unless you have the mark of the beast. In other words, these coins that have his face on them. Because the, the Greek word for mark, the mark of the beast, that, that can mean an image that's struck on a coin. So to me, it's pretty obvious that, that the mark of the beast refers to Nero Caesar. Um, and so I think we have to be super careful in trying to apply it to things that we see in the modern world. 
not that these things might be good things. They, they, there might be some huge drawbacks that we need to look into, but there's another side to this equation as well. And uh, one of our callers earlier, Chris, financial planner, helpfully kind of gave another perspective on this. But anyways, I just wanted to throw that in there because it's, it's been top of mind for a lot of people today. So if you're on the line, uh, stay there. We'll get your phone calls when we get back. 888-914-9149. Got to take a quick, quick break. Don't go away. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. 888-914-9149. Explaining the faith so you can explain it to others. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Hey, welcome back to the program, 888-914-9149. We're talking about central bank digital currencies. Are they the mark of the beast? Not necessarily. We talked about what the real mark of the beast was in the book of Revelation. It's a reference to Nero Caesar coins minted with his name and, and icon on them. And his name adds up to 666 uh, when you do gematria, giving letters numerical value. That's what it really meant in the first century. But it, it's interesting to talk about uh, cryptocurrency. I think Catholics need a better understanding of this. What we're going to talk about, what, by the way, there's a huge difference between government digital currency and Bitcoin, which we'll talk about hopefully in just a second. But let's go to the phones right now. Let's go to Tom in Tucson, Arizona on line one. Hi, Tom. Hey, Kale. Yeah, what a great topic, you know, and it's um, it's pretty confusing to people. You know, the, the, yeah. the key is in the term decentralization or centralization. Mm-hmm. So a centralized bank means they have the authority and they can turn it on, turn it off. Whereas decentralized is really a powerful thing for the people, you know, and it's a immutable yes. mathematical record. And it really brings a lot of freedom. There are people in developing nations and people in, um, you know, under the yoke of socialism, this is a freedom having, mm-hmm. um, having cryptocurrencies that are decentralized means the government can't monitor and regulate and control. So again, you know, for, for Catholics, especially, we should really be looking into this and really becoming acquainted with what this means you know, there, there could be a time where we are going to be forced to make spending decisions that, that, you know, conflict with our moral, you know, with our ethics and our morals. So having a decentralized mode of currency, that kind of like gold is right. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's hard to, it's hard to ship. You know, if I needed to send you some gold, I'd have to send you a little chunk up to Toronto. The postage would (laughs) be extraordinary for the insurance. Right. I'm not, I'm not sure JT would let it get through. Uh, he'd probably intercept it anyways, but uh, I'm only kidding. Right-o. But uh, but no, it, it, well, you're making great points, and especially with regard to the church. And I, I may not have time to share this one today, but I'll try to tomorrow. There's a community of nuns that is using Bitcoin in the United States. And this is one of the things that if, if financial resources are taken away from them, uh, the culture turns against the church, the government tries to confiscate property, whatever. They can't touch this stuff. They can't touch the Bitcoin that they've raised. Um, and, and we'll explain kind of how this works. And, and what you also said, Tom, was, was really intriguing that there, there's sort of a school of thought out there that says that once central bank digital currencies get out there, that'll be the end of Bitcoin. But there are people out there, and you mentioned it, in, in developing countries, in countries where the economy has tanked, when the currency is worth nothing. And, and these people have Bitcoin as a store of value that can potentially change their lives. And, and 
And that's that's an aspect to this that I, that I think is is often overlooked on the international side of things. Would you agree with that? You know, the other the other aspect that people don't understand is inflation is yes. a localized phenomenon. Um, yes, there's global inflation too, but you know there are moments. Argentina is a really good example mm-hmm. of this. Mm-hmm. In a hyperinflationary economy, there are times where you know, the spot market of Bitcoin, I may be losing value as opposed to the dollar when it says, well, Bitcoin went down today. That same day, you might actually have a significant gain in Bitcoin as opposed to another local currency. So inflation is local to your condition. So Mm -hmm. decentralization provides access to uh, kind of buffer these inflationary trends as well. So it it is extraordinarily powerful. And also you can take it what's called off chain. So you don't have to leave it in a central on chain, which mm-hmm. means that you can, you know, hide it under your mattress per se, right? <laughs> yeah. So a p- pri- privacy is, is there and it is an open ledger. Um, so if you want to be nefarious, it's really not good for you. So again, that's true. If you're an ethical, moral person, you really shouldn't have any concerns over this. If you're wanting to do nefarious things, yeah, I'd be pretty ignorant to use cryptocurrency for that because it does leave an immutable record. Yeah, and I will say though that there is there there are people using digital currencies for nefarious activities. There's no question about that. And maybe it's there may be other there are obviously other digital currencies out there, not just Bitcoin. There are more than five thousand different cryptocurrencies that are in existence today. But but Tom, really great points. I, I really appreciate that call. You can call back anytime. Tom in Tucson. I, I just want to just lay out really quickly because a lot of people might not understand exactly how this works. And I'm trying to to make sure that I learn it well, too, And because uh, it is a complicated issue. Um, so what what exactly is Bitcoin? It's As Tom said, this is a decentralized digital currency. It's not bound to any particular nation or government backing it up. It's a, it's a digital currency and you can buy it, you can sell it, you can trade it without using a bank. There's no intermediary needed. You can do it yourself. Now, the creator of Bitcoin is this shadowy figure, and, and people argue whether this is a real guy or whether he's made up guy. We don't really know. Satoshi Nakamoto, super mysterious. There's statues of this person, even though we don't know what he looks like, that have been erected. Um, and and he had these sort of white papers, these these essays that he wrote on Bitcoin. Here's why this is a good thing. And he's, he's essentially considered to be the creator of, of Bitcoin. And he originally described the need for what he called, quote, an electronic payment system based on cryptographic proof instead of trust. And something else Tom referred to there, there's something called a public ledger. It, it's, it's, an, it's sort of online, and anybody can kind of see this. It's, it's, in theory, accessible to everybody. You can't fake transactions, and you can't take them away either. So... Um, what really, because it's not backed by a government or, or any institution like a bank, what guarantees the value of Bitcoin, it's kind of baked into the heart of the system. Uh, it's decentralized. And, and the reason why it's worth something, as one writer said, it's the same as gold. And gold has been brought up a couple times today. People at some point decided gold has value. You know, this, 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 this yellow colored stuff that we dig out of the ground, we've decided that this is valuable. 
And that's why it's worth money because people think it has value. And it's the same thing with Bitcoin. The reason why it's worth anything and it has ebbed and flowed, obviously, is because people think it's worth something. They've decided that it has value. And what's also interesting about it, too, it's that there's a scarcity factor because there's only ever going to be 21 million Bitcoins ever made. So there's a, there's a finite number. Anytime there's a finite number, the price can, can go up. And then, by the way, this is not financial advice. I'm not telling you to invest in Bitcoin. Many people tell you stay a million miles away from it. So you have to do your own research. Disclaimer, this is not financial advice. I'm not a financial professional. And uh, you've got to do your own research. So I'm just telling, trying to explain what it, what it actually is. So it, it actually has an interesting application to the church as well. And we'll try to get into this a little bit more tomorrow with the story of this, these nuns. That is really amazing. But if you think about how, how church records are kept around the world, this idea of this digital record called the blockchain, that's how they sort of track Bitcoin, that could be super valuable for the church, for parishes, baptismal certificates, you know, records online. You can't fake it. You can't uh, mess with it. Um, they're not going to you know, burn in a fire some, somewhere. Tragically, churches have been set on fire. So it, it's, it's, it's intriguing. It's intriguing. And by the way, speaking of, I just got an interesting note from Patrick Alog, who's working the phones tonight. If you're interested, you can ask questions during the next episode, because uh, after I go off air in just a couple minutes, Timory's going to be on, and Timory's going to have financial advisors on the program, Jonathan and Amanda Teixeira. Um, so you can ask them what they think about Bitcoin. They're, they're, they're professionals, unlike me, but I'm just trying to learn, just like you are, about it. Also interesting, I want to mention this, because uh, I just heard this, um, uh, Timory has mentioned in a little promo there, they, there are some who believe that that we actually have the wedding ring that the Virgin Mary has had, you know, from, from St. Joseph. I, this is, this is a new one on me. So you're going to want to stick uh, uh, with relevant radio, keep it locked here and listen to training with Timory coming up next. Well, so it's a really interesting topic. It's a really interesting topic. Um, and I hope you've enjoyed our discussion on the mark of the beast, what it actually was in the book of revelation. You can access the full revelation series from the faith explained on the relevant radio archives. Speaking of the faith explained, here's a, here's here's an interesting thing. Jesus had some thoughts on money, and you do need money in order to buy things to eat. What did Jesus eat? I got a really interesting question for our Q and A mailbag segment on the faith explained. What did Jesus eat in a given day? That's that's a great question. That's a great question. Not saying you should copy it exactly, but uh, we will have some thoughts on that tomorrow as we continue our study also of Saint Paul's letter to the Romans. All right. So if you missed anything, check the podcast. It'll be up a few minutes after the show. Jim Schaefer produced today. Patrick Haylock took your phone calls. Miranda Sinisero did a great job with the artwork today. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.